What happens when you die? What do we know about the afterlife? You know, there are so many opinions. There are so many views. There are so many theories. There are so many questions. And when you think about the, the vast amount of opinions and beliefs out there, you know, hey, there's, there's purgatory, there's hell, there's no hell, there's, there's a heaven, there's multiple layers of heaven, reincarnation, uh, nothingness, all these things. There's so much out there. And when you look at all the offerings, they can't all be right. They're all so different. And so, man, we need to come to this understanding of an afterlife with a bit of a sense of urgency to want to know and a desire to cling to that which makes the most sense and has the most validity and uh, historical accuracy. We do not want to have the afterlife be an afterthought. It, it would actually be foolish of us to delay our view and delay our belief and delay our understanding of what lies in the afterlife. We don't want it to be an afterthought. And not only is the afterlife for, for what lies after this life, the afterlife affects how we live this life, right? Because what you believe takes place in the afterlife shapes your view of relationships, of money, of time, of your purpose, of, of everything that we experience here on earth our view of the afterlife informs us and shapes that. And so the afterlife is a huge topic that we don't want to overlook or have be an afterthought. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be tackling this topic of the afterlife. Let me give you a little bit of landscape of where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. Today, we're going to talk about the reality of the soul. Next week, we're going to be talking about the reality of heaven. The following week, we're going to talk about the reality of hell. And the last week of the series, we're going to have a question and answer panel. Four of us will just spend some time up here. We're taking questions from you guys related to the afterlife. We're condensing them and sorting them the best we can. And then we're just going to attack some of those questions that come in. We're also going to be diligent to try to provide extra resources over the next several weeks. Most of those are going to be provided through our blog. And so uh, you're going to want to be active uh, with Twitter. If, if you're not uh, following us on Twitter, I encourage you to follow us on Twitter, uh, CVC Tweets. If you don't, haven't liked our Facebook page, if you're not on our website on a regular basis, you're going to want to get plugged in because we'll be producing blogs and sending out resources uh, to answer some of the questions that we don't have time to answer even in the next four weeks. And then on top of that, uh, we have study guides we put out each week. The study guide is intended to be used in our life groups. Hopefully all of you are in a life group. Um, but you can use them for personal study or devotionals or for conversations in smaller context. So every week you can go to our website and see the study guide. And there's more verses and resources on that as well. And so we're going to be hitting this topic of the afterlife head on. Now, uh, I want to make a few cl uh, clarifiers as we kick off this message. Uh, one clarifier is this. I do not have all the answers uh, about the afterlife. <laughs> no one person does. And so when we approach uh, this concept of the afterlife, you go, well, what's the greatest sense of authority? Because I'm not the greatest authority. There's no person on earth that's the greatest authority. God has given us his word as the authority. This is the ultimate authority. God has given us a divinely inspired, indestructible um, revelation of his word. And so what he wants us to know, we're going to go here to find it. Because I have a suspicion that God probably knows more about the afterlife than we do. He probably knows more about the soul and heaven and hell and all those other questions than we do. 
And so we're going to go to his word. And so you're going to want to uh, let this be your authority. And uh, we're going to you know, come from the Bible. And as we approach the Bible, what we're going to be looking at is here's all these opinions and views. We're going to funnel it down to, well, what's God have to say? And even over the next four weeks, well, well the Bible's jammed full of verses on the afterlife. We're going to, let's, let's start with what Jesus has said. Let's look at some of the things Jesus has said about the afterlife and launch from there into helping try to understand the afterlife better. And so that's the first clarifier. The second is this. Uh, some of you are going to be tempted to really look at personal experiences that you have had, personal experiences that your friends or family members have shared, uh, experiences that people have written about in books, or you've seen documentaries, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, or all these different kinds of things. And, you know, God has used uh, supernatural and different types of experiences. Uh, he still does, I believe that. He can use those to hint toward the afterlife or give us premonitions. But here's where we really need to be cautious. Our experiences aren't the authority. What we believe is not the authority. And so when we come to God's word, we don't take our experiences and put them over God's word. We don't look at God's word through the filter of our experiences. We look at our experiences through the filter of God's word. Does uh, what we experience, does what we hear about, see about, what, what they're putting on TV. I mean, I, I don't want to shock you, but not everything you read on the internet's true. <laughs> Just want you to know that. And it's even a greater surprise, not everything you want to see on TV is true also, Okay. And so God's word is the authority. We let God's word be the uh, authority and the filter, not our experience. And so uh, hold those experiences or those tellings of experiences very cautiously because they don't necessarily inform you accurately. And the third clarifier that I want to give is this, that just like we typically do here at CVC, our approach to these things of the afterlife is going to be major on the major and minor on the minors. Not all theologians, not all scholars, not all pastors agree on some of the nuances and details of the scripture. God has given us a strong general understanding. There are times when he's given us some specific understanding, but because God wants to leave some as a mystery, you know, he's not, he's not exhaustively informed us of every detail. And so, you know, we look at what God's given us in his word and we think, well, what about this? And what about that? And we start to develop these minor views that could or could not be accurate, based on the major view. And so we're not going to die on the hill of any minor view, but we're going to stand firm on the major views. And so as we teach through this series, there'll be times when we say, this is a minor view, this is a major view, and, and, and try to touch base on that even today. Now, with all that being said, you guys ready to dive in? All right. Uh, I invite you right now to open up your Bibles to the book of Luke. As we turn into God's Word, I want to take you to a passage I'm excited about because I think it's a good framework. I think it gives us a good launching pad because uh, it speaks to a lot of the biggies that we're talking about in the, never, in, in the next several weeks. And uh, we can launch from that verse into some other understandings. And so I want to invite you to open up your Bibles or fire up your Bible applications to Luke chapter 16. And we're going to look at verses 19 through 31 today. 19 through 31, uh, something that Jesus spoke of. So if you're there, uh, turn with me there. And if you do not have a Bible, we want to make sure you have one uh, in your house, in your home, in your life. So get one on the way out. It's a free gift uh, from us to you. Luke 16, verse 19. Here's what we see Jesus saying. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. 
The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said then, I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that they may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Let's pray. Well, God, we are about to attempt to understand more about the afterlife in these weeks to come. And so, God, our prayers are not just for today, but for the next several weeks, God, as we look into your word, try to understand and extract a deeper understanding and affirmation and encouragement and security, Lord, about the afterlife. God, thank you that you've given us your revealed word. Thank you that you've given us authority, Lord. For those who are doubtful and skeptic, Lord, break through that and give them eyes to see and to believe. God, for those of us who believe already, Lord, would you just affirm in us and, and reinforce our security and who we are in Christ and the future that awaits us, Lord. God, help continue to stir in us a greater burden for those who don't know you that the afterlife is an afterthought. God, I just pray that this uh, series will have great fruit in us and through us. We ask this in Jesus' name. We all said, amen. Well, one thing we need to know about this passage is that this is an area where not all theologians and pastors agree. They look at what Jesus just said here, and some say this is a parable. That when you look at you know, the passages leading up to this moment and the passages leading after this moment, this is sandwiched between other parables. They look at you know, the way Jesus spoke in parables, and they're saying, this is actually a parable. Some say, no, this is not a parable. This is actually a historical account. This really happened because Jesus is being more specific than he typically is in parables. He's, he's speaking about someone named Lazarus. He's talking about Moses and Abraham. He's using real names, real people. So this is beyond a parable. This is real story. Is that a minor issue or a major issue? It's minor. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether it's parable or a real story because here's the major issue. Jesus spoke with this with a message intended. And whether he was speaking a parable or whether he was speaking in a story, what we know about Jesus is even when he tells parables, he's speaking about real things, right? When Jesus talks about parables, he doesn't conjure up uh, false things. He doesn't just paint pictures of things that, uh, that don't exist. He's not like, oh, some seven-headed dog did this. You know, it's like he, he's talking about real things. And so in the same way as he's talking about this situation, he's dealing with reality. Just like he says, hey, think about the flowers, think about the birds, think about seeds, think about this farmer, think about this child. He's saying heaven, hell, soul, eternity. So he's dealing with reality. So whether it's parable or story isn't so much the issue. The major issue is he's trying to communicate the truths. What are the truths we need to extract from that? And so we need to understand that as we go into that. So with that being said, what can we learn about the soul 
in this passage? Well, there's four characteristics about the soul that we see here that we can launch from. The first is this, the soul is real. The soul is real. As Jesus tells this story, whether actual or parable, he's speaking of the souls as reality, not as fictional, not as imaginary, not as hypothetical, not as metaphorical. And when I say soul, I'm talking about the immaterial and eternal essence of man, which is united to the material essence of man through God's supernatural design. Now, the Bible doesn't define the soul, but speaks often to its nature, so we can understand the soul. Now, there's two primary views about the makeup of man in relation to our soul. Uh, One view is called trichotomy. Tri, meaning three. The man is made up of three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Because when you read the Bible, you see body, soul, spirit. And so the body is the flesh. We get that. Uh, The soul is our um, psychological and emotional element of who we are. And then the spirit is the eternal essence of who we are. And so that's the trichotomous view. Uh, The other primary view is the dichotomous, which says, no, when you look at Scripture, uh, it says spirit and soul interchangeably. And so whenever the Bible talks about the spirit or the soul, they're speaking about the same thing using two different words. They're used interchangeably. So dichotomous, trichotomous. Personally, I gravitate toward dichotomy. It may or not, may not be right. But that doesn't matter so much. The, the, what matters mostly is understanding that we have this immaterial essence, a part of who we are that's a soul. Like, like you don't have a soul. You are a soul, right? It's so important. Because as you think about not having the afterlife as an afterthought, you don't think about there's, oh yeah, there's that little soul thing in me somewhere. I've got to make sure I think about that. No, no, like you are a soul. <laughs> you're, 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 you were created as an eternal being. The soul's real. And so Jesus is speaking about this in reality. And we know that the soul came from God. You know, well, if we have souls, where'd it come from? It came from God. Many verses on that, the two most obvious I like, Zechariah 12.1 says of God that he formed the spirit of man within him. It's the Lord who put that soul in here. It's the Lord who created the soul. Well, when did he do that? We see that in Genesis 2.7. When we think about the way God made us, it says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And it's a beautiful moment where we see that God formed us and then personally breathed the breath of life into us. It says that the God's word says that we're made in the image of God. And when you look at the creation account, there's no other creature, no other species that God did that for. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't create dogs and breathe into them. He didn't, he didn't do that with, you know, uh, guinea pigs. You know what I'm saying? It, it was only man. When he formed man, he personally breathed the breath of life. And with that came the soul. It made us a living being. Life is in the soul. That's why we need to understand that we are souls. Come from God, created by God. Now, when does the soul and the body unite, if they will? When, when does God make that happen? Well, here's where we get to dive into some more of that scholarly stuff and figure out what's going on. Uh, there's two primary views, one kind of third little dangler of a view. Um, the little dangler of view is pre-existence. Pre-existence says that when God created everything in the creation account, he created all the souls of mankind forever, and he basically stores them in this kind of like soul warehouse, all right? 
So we got like Costco and like Souls R Us and all these other places, okay? So, so, so we've got, you know, the soul warehouse. And at some point in time, he, he matches up the soul with the body. Okay, you go there, you go there. Hey, you've been hanging out for a while. Here you go, you know? And, and that's the pre-existent view. Uh, if you're sensing sarcasm and mockery, you can probably tell um, I'm not a big fan of that view, primarily because it has no biblical support. But other than that, um, moving on. Uh, the, the two primary views that are held by theologians and scholars, one is the creationism view. The creationism view is that somewhere between conception and birth, God creates the soul and implants it into the body. Somewhere between conception and birth, the soul comes to being, and God creates it and puts it in there. Um, And then the other view is the tradition view. The tradition view is that when God created uh, everything. He basically empowered and designed, hardwired it into men and women that when the husband or wife come and conceive a child, part of the conception process is the activation of the soul, if you will. That is part of our makeup from the beginning of conception. So now you know why what we view about the afterlife and what we view about the soul is so important. You start to think about the hot buttons of life like abortion and all these things because where the soul comes into being is a big deal. And so, you know, the minor issue, you know, is a creationism, is a traditionism. That, that's not so much the big deal. The big deal is God made it and God gave it to us. And we definitely can know this from conception. From conception on at some point, the soul is activated, whether God makes it and puts it in or whether it's just part of the process that God built from, from design. Personally, I like the tradition view. I think it has a lot more um, roots for me in understanding. Now, it may or may not be the case. I'm going to stand on the firm reality that God makes the soul and God puts it into man. And so we look at our souls, we look at that, and we stand on that. I'll never forget this whole reality of the soul thing. I'll never forget the first time that came into play for me, being so real, the reality of the soul. And some of you here can really relate to this. Um, It's when my grandmother passed away. I was a young man, and I was standing at the casket of my grandmother, who I was close to. And as I was looking inside this casket at my grandmother, I literally felt the absence of her soul. It was one of those moments where I'm going like, she's not there. Like this, this cocoon, this vessel is empty. I could tell like something supernatural had taken place. And ever since then, standing by the caskets of loved ones who's passed away, church family members who've passed away, being in the presence of people as they're passing away, the soul's very real. And so the first characteristics we see as Jesus is talking through the stories is the reality of the soul. The soul is real. And because the soul is real, we don't want the afterlife to be an afterthought. We need to become acquainted with us as a soul. The second characteristic is this. The soul separates from the body at death. Right? I know this is kind of stating the obvious, but Jesus is speaking to it, so we're going to look at it. Um, God designed the soul and body to be united to be united. And the body isn't evil. There's a lot of those views out there, you know, we're trapped in this evil, wicked body. No, that's not the deal. God formed this body. God made this body. He created this body. And so our immaterial spiritual essence and our material physical essence are are united. But at death, there's a disruption between the material and the immaterial and the physical and the spiritual. And the immaterial and the spiritual, the soul, goes on. And goes on. We see in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, it says, And the dust returns to the earth, speaking about our bodies, as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. And when you look at this passage, and you look at this, what's, what's, what's taking place here between Lazarus and the rich man, you look at verse 22, and it talks about the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried and was in Hades. 
Jesus is speaking about these souls continuing on after their bodies died. And we understand death is a reality. That statistic that we talk about, 10 out of 10 people die, all right? That's what happens. Uh, And we know that death is no respecter of persons. Death can happen to the young and the old, to the healthy and the unhealthy. And as we see here, to the rich and to the poor. And so as we look at the imminent nature of death, and we look at the fact that the spirit leaves the body at death, we need to understand something. Why then do we, and how much sense does it make, that we spend most our life investing in, worrying about, pursuing the material. Like if you were to draw a pie chart of your life, and you were to think about how, you, how much brain space, energy, money, effort, words you put to the body and to that which we experience, which is material, and how much of that which we invest in, which is spiritual and eternal, what would your pie chart look like? Would it be 50-50, 60-40? Would it be 10-90? And it's interesting because we, if, if, if the afterlife is an afterthought, we live all for this world, we live all for the body, we live all for the physical, we neglect the spiritual, and then all of a sudden we're faced with the reality of the spiritual, and we realize all we've done is invest in the physical. That's exactly what this rich man did, right? And when you look at the life of the rich man, I mean, it says he, he feasted sumptuously. He indulged in the body. Man, the afterlife was an afterthought. He didn't care. He didn't think about that. He was all about the flesh, all about the body, all about what he could touch and feel and see and experience here now. And it's a beautiful thing that God's given us a beautiful world to enjoy. Like, I hope you guys go out today and enjoy that sunshine. You know, we're not talking about it's bad to go enjoy, but is, is that what life's all about? Is it all about that? Do we neglect the spiritual? Is it an afterthought to us? Well, to the rich man, it was an afterthought. And so we also fixate on that which is physical and material. But obviously we see here that for the poor man, for Lazarus, he obviously had a degree of emphasis on the spiritual. He didn't neglect his soul. He knew the Lord. He loved the Lord. That's why he went to what's called Abraham's side, which we'll talk about in a minute. So how much sense does it you make to, to go after everything which is physical and material. Because we've talked about this before. You could have everything this world has to offer and absolutely have nothing. And you could have nothing that this world has to offer, but if you're in Christ, you've got everything, right? And remember something that Jesus said in Matthew is captured, 1626, for what will it profit a man if he gains what? The whole world and forfeits his soul. Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? The soul and the body split after this life. And the soul goes on. What are we doing now to invest in eternity? How are we, how are we looking at, viewing, interacting with that which is spiritual and material, not just material and physical? We don't want it to be an afterthought. You know, if you're in Christ, your greatest comfort your greatest joy, your greatest pleasure is not actually going to happen on this planet. It's going to happen in the presence of the one who made you. And so we constantly need to be reminded that we are spiritual beings, souls. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. That's the reality of the soul. That's not having the afterlife be an afterthought. The third characteristics we see the soul here, is that the soul goes to an eternal destination after this life. 
Much of what we would like to know about this, <laughs> I'm going to disappoint you right now, is going to be covered in the next couple weeks, all right? So if today you want me to ring out everything about heaven and you know what, the, the hell and all that kind of stuff, we're not going to do that right now, so don't throw anything at me. Um, but what we can look at here is something that Jesus was clear about in verse 22. The soul of Lazarus went to something called here Abraham's side or Abraham's bosom, which is a euphemism for heaven. And we see how in this story, Abraham was saying that Lazarus was in a place of comfort. And so not only does the soul leave the body, but for some, as the immaterial, the essence of man, the soul goes into eternity, for some it'll be a place of comfort. But we also see the reality here that the rich man went to a place of agony. And he talked about torment, and he talked about flame, and he talked about agony. And so for some, when this immaterial essence of who we are, the soul leaves the body, they're going to go into that place, which referred to here as Hades. So were these the ultimate and final destinations? Were these like temporary heaven and hell? Like, how's it all work? Um, you know, we're going to talk about that in the next couple of weeks. Also, notice this. The souls were very aware of their surroundings. They were very aware. Lazarus was obviously aware he was comforted. Abraham was interactive in this story. The rich man was very aware of his torment. And so there's an awareness in that eternal state in heaven and hell. And so we have to see that. We also notice here that the destinations were fixed. They were set, right? There was no back and forth. There was no crossing over. So then we go, what about purgatory? What about having a second chance after this life? And we're going to talk more about that in the next couple weeks. But I'll tell you right now, be familiar with this verse because what you see here is pretty key in knowing the answer to those questions. You know, a few other questions that usually arise on the topic of the soul leaving from the body. One is this, does, does the soul immediately go into its eternal destination or does it enter into a time of soul sleep until the resurrection? Uh, we're going to take some time in our Q&A in a few weeks and specifically talk about that because uh, that's, that's a good one. It's a big one. We're going to give some time devoted to that in the Q&A. Another question we always get when it comes to soul and afterlife, what about animals? What about pets? You know, all that kind of stuff. And um, what I'm going to do is I'll blog about that this week. So sometime around Wednesday or so, check the website, check the social media, and look for the blog. And I'll talk a little bit about the soul state with animals. So those are some of the questions. But although more detail of this is to come for now, we can see that we have a soul, that we are a soul, as a soul, we'll spend eternity in one of two final destinations, which increases the urgency, which increases the necessity of making sure that the afterlife is not an afterthought. We want to make the most of the one life, one soul, one chance we get. And the fourth characteristic that we see in this passage about the soul, is that God has given souls the necessary information. This is, this is a very sobering and intriguing section of passages. Uh, let's look at it again. Verse 27 through 31. So this is the rich man. He's in Hades, and he's, he's crying out to Abraham. And he says, Then I beg you, Father, to send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I've got five brothers, that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. 
He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. As the rich man is experiencing his agony, the urgency and care for his loved ones kicks in. Because now he knows something they don't. The afterlife was an afterthought to him. Now he's paying the price. And he's realizing the afterlife is an afterthought to my brothers. And they're obviously going to be en route to where he's at. And it was just so interesting because he didn't have much regard for Lazarus in life. And now even in death, he's wanting Lazarus to be his messenger boy. Could you bring him, have some water? Bring, can you bring him some water? Can you have him bring him some water to me? Can you go send him to my, to my family, right? Like he's not getting it yet. And so he now has a sense of urgency. Go, go tell them. Please send Lazarus to go tell them about this place. And what was his response? Abraham's response was, they've got God's word. They have the writings of Moses. They've got the writings of the prophets. They have everything they need to make an informed decision. But, 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 but Abraham, no, no, no. That, that, like, if someone, and this is where, if it wasn't for the state, the, 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 uh, the sake of souls, this would almost be humorous. They said, no, but if something supernatural were to happen, something just would blow their minds, then they would listen and be convinced. Like if Lazarus came back from the dead and he went to them, then they would definitely believe. And you just kind of pause there and think, right? If someone came back from the dead, that would do it. <laughs> Everybody would believe. And you know, Jesus raised another Lazarus from the dead, remember? You know what happened there? Some people believed, but a bunch didn't. And some wanted to kill Lazarus for coming back from the dead. How's that? Welcome back. We're going to kill you. <laughs> We're going to finish what, you know, death started. Why? Because they didn't want to give Jesus any credibility. And the fact that now everyone's going, Jesus was a guy from the dead. They're like, oh, what do we do? Well, let's kill Lazarus, and then we can, bosh, you know, we can squash that thing. So, so bringing Lazarus back to life actually revealed the condition of the heart. See, for a lot of people, it's not, I can't believe. It's, I won't believe. And there's a difference between being in a place of doubt and skepticism where you're going, I'm having a hard time believing and there's a difference between being in a place where you're going, I won't believe. I'm not going to believe it. I refuse. And of course, we have the resurrection of Jesus. I mean, you look at the whole narrative of us being created by God and us sinning against God and, and, and having that divide of our sin. And, and, and you look at God saying, okay, I'm going to come down in person and I'm going to reconcile us by dying on the cross for all that sin so there's no longer a barrier. And I'm going to show to you, I'm going to prove to you that I'm God and I have this authority. I'm going to do super, something supernatural and mind-blowing. I'm going to raise from the grave. And on top of that, I'll walk around for 40 days and appear to hundreds of people to show you the evidence that this really happened. I'm going to ascend to heaven and then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit down. And the Holy Spirit's going to enter into the lives of my children, my followers, and they're going to go all over the world telling people about Jesus and they're going to do miracles and they're going to be bold people and they're going to be courageous people and they're going to love people like no one else can love and they're going to speak truth and they're going to speak care and they're going to be my hands and my feet. They're going to do all this stuff and we've got... We've got centuries of miracles seen by countless of thousands and thousands of people. What dare we ask God to do more? What else do we request of God that he hasn't already done? And so just like the rich man's brothers who had everything that they needed, God has given everybody here and now everything you need. We've got God's word. He tells us the end of the story. And you think GPS 
is a, is a cool deal. Remember before GPS, we had Google Maps, like, ooh, you know? Before that, we had maps, and we have, we have all these things giving us direction. There's nothing compared to what we hold here. God's given us the answers. He's given us the way. He's given us the understanding. It's all right there. And we listen to people like we saw portrayed here that are lost and confused. And, well, it's just easier to believe this kind of craziness. And it's easier to... God's given us the answers. What more? What more do we need from God than his word and his son and all that we see? Well, God's given us all that we need to make an informed decision. The problem isn't a lack of information. The problem isn't a lack of evidence. It's a lack of belief. And as we talked about last week, it's believing that will make you see. You don't have to see to believe. And so we're not that different than that situation. And here's the reality. One day, one day, everybody with perfect understanding will, will see eternity. Everyone will have a perfect understanding of eternity, the souls, heaven, and hell. There will be no more questions to answer. One day. But some will be getting all their answers from a good place. And some will be getting all their answers from a bad place. So please, please do not make the afterlife an afterthought. Do you know that you are a soul? Do you know that God made you and created you and designed you to be forever with him in eternity? Do you know that he came down in person and died on that cross for you? So all the ugliness in us can be removed and forgiven by the blood of Christ. And all we have to do is believe in who Jesus is and what he did. And we can be restored with God. Do you know that? Have you believed that? If you haven't, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for another sign? Really? What more is going to give you? You just got to believe. If you've believed, what are you doing to help others? to not see the afterlife as an afterthought. Like your friends, uh, teenagers in this room, students, adults, all your friends, their souls, where are they going to spend eternity? Do you guys talk about it ever? Spouses, that man or woman next to you that you love so much, they're a soul. They're spend somewhere, they're going to spend some, eternity somewhere. Where? Moms and dads, your kids are souls. Like, like they're going to spend eternity somewhere. And you think about what we do to our kids. Man, we got school and hobbies and sports and media and this and this and this and this. You know, if you really evaluate, how much of the life do we invest in the body of our kids but not in their soul? How are we discipling our children? Is the afterlife an afterthought to the next generation? in your house? Are they even aware of the souls around them? The kids, your parents are souls. And it's hard when your authority figures may not know the Lord. That was my experience. And it's kind of scary because they're a little bit closer to the afterlife than you probably are. How are you just showing what Christ is doing in your life? How are you praying for them and loving on them? Do you bring up the afterlife? And God can use the words of a child, of a student, 
to provoke great necessary conversation in the home about the afterlife. And that person making your sandwich, that person parked at the stoplight next to you, that person mowing the lawn next to your house or walking down the hall, they're souls. They're souls. How are you reaching out? How are you praying? How are you investing in eternity? How are you living in such a way that the afterlife is not an afterthought? Because here's the deal. If you're faithful to pray for people and you're faithful to be courageous and step out and lovingly talk about the afterlife, things will happen. Things happen for Barbara. Barbara's a woman in our church. She's been praying for a while that her daughter, Melissa, her, her daughter-in-law, Melissa, would open her heart to Jesus. And so they've been having spiritual conversations, new life conversations. And about a week before Easter, Barbara and Melissa were talking. And uh, Melissa just said, I just, I've just got doubts that are preventing me from believing. And Barbara just kept praying for her and loving on her. She invited her to Easter. She came here last weekend when we talked about having doubts and belief. <laughs> and she heard that message. And it was just one more seed planted in what God was doing. And after the message, and I think they were sitting over there somewhere, Barbara and Melissa sat down after service and talked some more. And Barbara came to a place where she said, are you ready to believe in Christ? And Melissa said, yes. She just prayed and she, she became a follower of Christ. All that time of prayer and the, and the boldness and the courage. You know, Barbara wasn't making the afterlife an afterthought. And Melissa was making sure that the afterlife was not an afterthought. And now she's been reading her Bible and she's learning about this God who made her and loved her. That's a beautiful thing. Who are you praying for? Who are you talking to? This whole thing with New Life 1024, this initiative for the year, it's just trying to get us to keep praying for people and loving on people by sharing the good news of Jesus as a way of life. We're not going to be done when the year's up, you know? Just keep doing it. So if you're here today and you need to, you need to place your faith in Christ, you need to do that. So just say, Christ, come into my life. I need to follow you. I'm lost. I'm broken. I believe. For some of you, you need to walk out of here going, man, the afterlife has been an afterthought. I need, to, I, need to, I need to fix that. Lord, help me to fix that. Walk out of here just learning to make a bigger difference for eternity in this world. Let's pray. God, Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thanks for the reminder that we're souls. God, forgive us for doing, we spend so much time and effort and energy and mind space on our bodies, God. And, and Lord, thank you for these bodies. You, you created them. You made them. You've designed them for a purpose. But God, we just overemphasize them. God, would you help us to start to think about the afterlife more and about our souls and the souls of our friends and family and the souls of our loved ones? And God, would you continue to stir a passion and a burden in us to, to tell them the good news of this God who loves them and made them and died for them and rose for them and wants a relationship with them? God, give us more boldness and give us more courage, Lord Jesus, and that more faithfulness. God, for anyone here that needs to place their faith in you, God, would you give them the courage just to profess belief today and come to you today, Lord Jesus, and just say, I'm lost, and I'm broken, and I need you, and I believe. God, you're a great God, and we love you, and we praise you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And we said together, amen. amen.